You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. I don't know if you've heard the one about the, about the uh, Baptist pastor, uh, the, the Catholic priest, and the Jewish rabbi. And I, I, you probably have heard it before, in fact, because I think I'm the one who told it to you before. Uh, but but there, was, there was a, a Baptist pastor and a Catholic priest and a Jewish rabbi who were all debating with each other over who was the greatest preacher. And, and so at one point, they decided to have a contest to prove who the greatest preacher is. And so the contest is that they were going to go into the forest and find a wild bear. And whoever would be able to preach to that bear and convert that bear to their faith, to their religion, would be the greatest preacher. So a week or so later, they all come back, and, 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 the, and the Baptist pastor stands up, and he's, he's all bloody and, and, and bandaged, and, and he stands up and says, well, guys, you know what? It was going really great. I mean, I mean, you know, I was preaching my heart out. Things were going really, really great until I got into the river and tried to baptize the bear. That's when things went wrong. Well, after that, the, 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 the Catholic priest stands up, and he's got a cast on one arm and a cast on a leg, and, and, he, and he stands and says, you know, it was kind of like that for me, too. I mean, things are going really, really good. I mean, I was preaching, and things are going great until I tried to serve him his first communion, and then things went really, really wrong. Well, at that, the, the Jewish rabbi, who can't even stand because he's in a full-body cast, he just, he just turns and says, well, fellas, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision, uh, <laughs> it's a true story, by the way. Uh, the, the reason I share that lame story with you is because the title of this message is The Cross Versus Circumcision. The Cross Versus Circumcision. Because remember, uh, there, there's been this ongoing debate in the book of Galatians these last 14 weeks, and, and the debate has been b- b- between the Apostle Paul versus the so-called Judaizers. And, and the debate is, is the cross versus circumcision. Or, or if you would, law versus grace. Uh, the spirit versus truth. Or oh, I'm sorry, the, the spirit versus flesh. Sorry, the spirit is truth. The, the spirit versus flesh. And so there's, there's been this ongoing debate. In, in fact, in, in that day, there was a old rabbinical saying that said that the circumcised man will never see the fires of Gehenna. Gehenna is just an, an, another name for hell. Another rabbinical saying, uh, saying said that circumcision will save the nation of Israel from Gehenna. And so literally, they literally thought that, that, that the act of circumcision saves you. The act of circumcision is what, is what changes your life. And so in Galatians, we see that it's not circumcision that, that, that saves you. It's the cross that saves you. And so now with that, as we go back now to verse 11, we see that first of all, Paul is making a point of emphasis, a point of emphasis. In verse 11, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, there you have it. Uh, the very, very first large print edition of the Bible. It's right there. Thank you, our percussion section. Um, and so, you know, we, we've mentioned this before, but, but most scholars agree that, that the Apostle Paul had, had some kind of an eye condition, some kind of a health problem uh, that, that caused a severe eye problem. Maybe it was malaria or something else. In fact, it, it's believed that, that this, this disease, whatever it was, also caused his face to be somewhat disfigured, uh, some kind of partial paralysis on his left side of his face. And also it caused his, his, his eyes to be runny and, 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 and to be filled with pus. And so he had horrible eyesight as a result. In fact, whenever Paul wrote these letters in the Bible, like this one to the, to the Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, Paul never actually wrote these letters with his own hand. Rather, he, he would dictate them. 
He would speak them and then someone else, like a secretary, would write them. He would say the words, they would write the words down. Until the end. At the end, he would always, with his own hand, sign his own signature. And you knew that it was his signature because he had to write it big enough that even he could read it. In fact, we see a couple of examples of this in Paul's other writings. Like, for example, at the end of 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, 21, the salutation with my own hand, Paul. Or in Colossians 4, verse 18, it says, this salutation by my own hand, Paul. And you can almost envision these larger-than-life letters as he's like, P-A-U-L, like he's shouting it large enough that even he can read it. However, some scholars like, like, like John Stott would argue that, that in this particular case, the, the book of Galatians, they would say that, that, that Paul was not just using large letters so that he could read it himself, but rather he was using large letters to make a point of emphasis. In fact, they point out that, that he probably didn't just sign his own name so large enough that he could read it, but he wrote this entire section that we're reading this morning large enough that even he can read it. But why? It was for a point of emphasis. You know, we've all got that friend, you know, that, that one friend who, who whenever they text us, they always text us in all caps, you know, our angry texter friend. You know, and, and, and so, you know, in fact, it reminds me when I was in Bible college. When I was in Bible college, I had to read a, a little booklet, this one here. Um, it, was, it was written by uh, one of Pastor Chuck Smith's assistant pastors. His name was Romaine. Now, Romaine, uh, by the way, was a former Marine drill sergeant who, who then got saved and became a pastor, an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Now, back in the 60s and the 70s, when this thing called the Jesus Movement broke out. Now, by the way, if you don't know what the Jesus Movement is, this was this amazing revival, this nationwide revival where literally millions of young people, teenagers and 20-somethings that called themselves hippies, millions of them were getting saved, giving their lives to Jesus and becoming Christians. And many believe that, that this whole thing started in Southern California. And to some degree, it actually started in a small church called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, with Pastor Chuck Smith. And so thousands and thousands of these, of these young kids, these, these, these teens and 20-somethings, they, they were getting saved. And their lives are being changed. And, 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 and then with that, there were, there were dozens of them who felt like they were called to the ministry, called to serve as pastors or, or, or that sort of thing. So many of them came on staff at the church as, as an assistant pastor or a youth pastor or as an on-staff evangelist or whatever it was. Now, among them were, were guys like my pastor, Tom Stipe, or, or, or Greg Laurie, who you hear on the radio, or Raul Reese, who some of you hear on the radio, and, and the list goes on and on and on. But all these guys, you know, they were in their late teens or their, or their early 20s, and they got saved from some of the craziest backgrounds. Saved from, from, from broken homes and, and drug addiction and alcohol addiction and, and sleeping around, just basically the, the whole hippie culture. And now not only did they get saved, but now they're in the ministry. They're serving in the church. They're serving in the ministry. Now, Romaine's job was to train them for the ministry. In fact, Romaine's number one lesson for all of them to learn was, was, that, was that they were there to serve. They were there to, to, to serve the Lord. They were there to serve the, the vision of the senior pastor, Chuck Smith. And they were there to serve the sheep. In other words, they were not there to serve themselves. They weren't there to make a name for themselves, to promote themselves, to climb the corporate ladder. No, they were there to serve. And, and, and so with that, you know, it was Romaine's job to kind of, kind of beat that into him, literally, you know, as a drill sergeant, just kind of beat that into him. Now, later on, he, he ended up writing this little booklet titled Second. 
And he wrote this booklet so that anybody else who felt like they were called to the ministry, they could learn these same principles. And that their role was to serve. Their role wasn't to be first. Their role wasn't there to promote themselves. They were there to be second, to be second fiddle. They were there to support. And so when he wrote this book, what's funny is that literally every word in this book, I'm trying to find one that I didn't highlight, but every word in this book, the entire book, it's all written in all caps. Every single word so that you literally felt, feel like you're being yelled at by a Marine drill sergeant when you read the book. Well, in the same way, that's kind of like the Apostle Paul. It, it's, like, it's like the Apostle Paul, you know, w- w- you know, just in case the Galatians, or in fact, for that matter, even the Judaizers, just in case they missed Paul's point that he kept mentioning over and over again in the book of Galatians, he now underlines it and makes it bold and even writes it in all caps so that no one anywhere would miss what he was saying when he said that salvation is not by works. It's, it's not by, by, by keeping religious rituals and ceremonies like, 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 like circumcision. No, salvation is by grace alone. By grace alone. And so he's, he's making a point of emphasis. Now with that, as we pick it up in verses 12 and 13, now Paul shows that the, that the Judaizers' emphasis was the flesh. Their emphasis was on the flesh. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Chokes me up every time I say it. Anyway, verse 12. Paul says, it is, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Now we'll pause there. Now again, I mentioned a moment ago that, that these Judaizers basically believed that, 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 that this ritual called circumcision was so important because, because circumcision, they felt, could save a person's eternal soul. So they basically substituted a ritual for a relationship. They, they substituted a ceremony in place of salvation. They, they were emphasizing the flesh. And so Paul says in verse 12, again, it's those who, who want to make a good showing in the flesh flesh who would force you to be circumcised. So what Paul's doing is is he's exposing their motives. You see, the so-called Judaizers might have pretended that they cared about about the about the, the the Galatians' eternal soul. They might have been pretending that they cared, you know, where you spent eternity, but they didn't care about your soul. No, they only cared about it drawing attention to themselves. They only cared about about you know earning a merit badge, about 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 getting a brownie button. They, they wanted to be in, in a situation where they could be among their Jewish culture, their, their Jewish you know, uh, friends and, and, and whatnot, and say, hey, look at what we did. Look, look, we went over to those pagan Gentiles, those Greeks and those Romans, and we actually got them to get circumcised. I mean, we got them converted to our religion, to Judaism. Look what we accomplished. They, they, they were boasting about their, their accomplishments. Now, it is a little odd that attached to that, that after he says that, they, um, <clears throat> that they, they, they force you to be circumcised because they're, they're, they want to make a good showing in the flesh, he then goes on to say in verse 12, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? it doesn't it seem weird that he's saying the reason that they, they promote circumcision is because they don't want to be persecuted? It just seems a little weird. Why, 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 why would that get them out of being persecuted? Well, Bible commentator Leon Morris points out that, that when the Roman Empire started attacking Christians and started persecuting Christians in the first century, 
Those Christians, quote unquote, who, who emphasized circumcision, those who, who, who you know, emphasized the law of Moses, were viewed by Rome as just another Jewish sect, as just a sect of the, uh, of the Jewish religion. And so they left them alone. They said, oh, that's just part of the Jewish religion. And they, and they didn't bother them. They didn't persecute them. However, uh, real Christians, those who preached the real gospel, those who preached that salvation was by grace alone, those who did not promote circumcision, those who were not promoting the law of the Old Testament, they were the ones who were persecuted. And so literally, this was kind of like their get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, by the way, thinking about how, how the Judaizers emphasized the flesh, you know, I mean, it's what this was. Circumcision was all about the flesh. It was the cutting off of the flesh, but it was, you know what, it was, it was the idea that, you know what, you have to discipline the flesh. You have to conquer the flesh. You have to beat the flesh into submission. You know, the flesh is evil. The flesh has, has sinful nature in it. And so it's this whole idea of, of conquering the flesh. And so their, their, their emphasis on the flesh kind of reminds me of a group called the flagellants. I didn't say, now be careful, I didn't say flatulent. That's going to happen later during the chili, chili cook-off. No, the, the flagellants were, were, were this group during the Middle Ages, uh, during the 1300s, who, who claimed to be Christians, but they were constantly whipping themselves. In fact, literally, uh, they, they believed that if they whipped themselves with, with, with a whip that had, had metal in it and, and all kinds of other uh, ways to torture themselves in it, if they whipped themselves, they were inviting God to have mercy on them. Because they believed that if they could punish their flesh, if they could discipline their flesh, if they could beat their flesh into submission, God would have mercy on them. And so sometimes you'd have groups of them, like, like two to three hundred uh, people, sometimes even in the thousands, who would travel from town to town to town. And every time they would arrive at town, the first thing they'd do is, is they'd go right to the church, ring the church bell uh, to, to, to let everybody know that they were there. And then when the whole town came and, and gathered to see what was going on, then they would strip themselves down to their waist and they'd pull out these whips and they would walk in a circle and whip themselves. And, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that... that, that the, the world at large, you know, they, they'll tolerate just about any kind of, of religious custom. I mean, the world at large, you know, they'll, they'll look at these kind of religious customs, these, these practices like, like whipping yourself or, or for that matter, like even circumcision back in these days. You know, where, where they were telling full-grown adult male Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, that if you want to convert, you've got to get circumcised. Now, the world at large will look at all these crazy customs and just say, hey, you know what? That's just a part of their religion. That's just, you know, that's just their religious practice. But listen to this. The moment you preach the cross, I mean, the moment that, that you preach that, that Jesus died to save anyone who would admit they're a sinner who needs a savior, well, now all of a sudden the world has a problem with you. And all of a sudden the world looks at you and, and says that you're narrow-minded, that, that you're bigoted, that, that you're intolerant. I mean, they will tolerate just about any other thing. I mean, even whipping themselves. But the moment you mention the cross, there's a problem. So what this is saying is that, you know what? If you want to avoid persecution, then avoid the cross. If you want to avoid being persecuted, then don't preach the cross. Because the moment you preach the cross, that's where the world has a problem. Now, it's interesting. After that, then in verse 13, he says, For those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Now, this is saying a couple of things. Now, now remember, I've told you this week after week, but in, 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 the, in the law of Moses, which would basically be the first five books of the Bible, 
uh, sometimes called the, the Pentateuch, sometimes called the Torah. But in the first five books of the Bible, the, the Law of Moses, as it's called, uh, there are 613 commandments, 613 laws. And so on the one hand, what, what Paul's saying is, you know what? There is no way that these guys are able to keep all 613 of those laws 100% 24-7. It's impossible. Now, if you thought that's hard to do, well, then they added to it. Because then, in addition to God's word, in addition to God's law, then they had these man-made books, two of them called the Mishnah and the Talmud. And in the Mishnah and the Talmud, there's now an additional 1,521 laws. So you've got 613 in in the Bible, and then another 1,500 in in these man-made books. Now, by the way, this is what the Jews would call halakha, which means, means the traditions, the oral traditions, the, the oral teachings of the rabbis, the oral teachings of, the, the, uh, of, of man. But the problem was that they had elevated the oral teachings of the rabbis, they elevated the oral teachings of man above the scriptures, above the word of God. In fact, there's a verse in the Talmud that says, the teachings of the rabbis are even more lovely than the teachings of the scripture itself. And so, but by the time of Jesus, and by the time of the Apostle Paul, the, the religious leaders had, had started writing laws, man-made laws, that would actually help you break the law of God in the Scripture. So if there's something in the Bible that you thought was too confining, you didn't like the way it was, it was, it was, you know, it was just too stiff and, and stifling, well, then they had a man-made law to help you get out of it, literally. In fact, you may remember that, that on one occasion, Jesus actually confronted this very thing. There was a time in Mark's gospel where Jesus is, is debating with the religious leaders of the day, and he's, and he's confronting them about the fact that they write man-made laws to help them break God's law. And so in, in Mark chapter 7, verses 10 through 13, Jesus says, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and, and, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, What profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So here's the picture. Again, the picture is that the, the law of Moses, specifically the book of Exodus, says that you are to honor your mother and your father. Now, among many things, part of what that means is that, you know, as your parents age, as they become elderly, you honor them by taking care of them. They took care of you all those years. This is now your opportunity to pay them back for all that they've done. And so now you take care of them. But what was happening was that they invented this man-made law to help you get out of that. It was, it was called korban. Now, korban just means, uh, it means dedicated to the Lord. Dedicated to the Lord. And so the idea is that, you know what, it, it, this, this is going to help you get out of your responsibility to take care of mom and dad now that they're older. And so you turn to them and say, hey, you know, uh, mom, dad, we really wish that you could move in with us. I mean, we understand that, you, you know, you can't cook anymore and you're blind as a bat and, and, you know, and you're going to fall downstairs and you need help. But, you know, we're, you know, we really wish we could help you out. But, you know, what the problem is, is we've dedicated our house to the Lord. It's Corban. It's no longer our house. It's God's house. So we, we, we can't make that call. It's, it's, it's God's decision. It's God's house. And we, you know, our hands are tied. So I guess you're just going to have to go and, and live in a nursing home or, or become a ward of the state or, you know, or something. You know. But, you know, I mean, we really wish we could help you, but our hands are tied. And so they were using these man-made laws to get out of God's law. <clears throat> and so now when Paul says they themselves do not keep the law, 
He's referring to two things. Number one, on the one hand, he's saying, you know what? They've got 613 laws in the Bible, plus another 1,500 laws in their other books, and there's no way they're keeping all of those. That's like, like 2,100 laws. There's no way they're keeping all of that. And then number two, he's also saying, you know what? Not only are they breaking those laws day in and day out, but on top of that, they actually invent new laws to help them break this law. Help them get out of God's word. He's saying, you know, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Here they come, and they put this guilt trip on you, and they're telling you, hey, because you're a Gentile and you weren't born Jewish, you're going to go to hell. And so if you want to go to heaven, well, then you need to convert, and you need to keep this law and this ritual and that tradition, and you need to do this thing and that thing, and, and they're not even doing it themselves. They're just a bunch of hypocrites, he's saying. And so now with that, verses 13 through 15, now we see that, that Paul's emphasis was the cross, their emphasis was, was the flesh. His emphasis is the cross. And so again in verse 13, he says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And so Paul says, they boast in the flesh, I boast in the cross. He's saying, you know what? Uh, they, they boast about what man can do, and I'm going to boast about what he has done. Now you have to understand, the, the, the message that was being pushed by these so-called Judaizers is a message that was basically saying, you know what? It's possible for you to contribute to your own salvation. That if you want to go to heaven, if, if, you, if you want to get into heaven, you need to work at it. You need to contribute to it. You need to do your part. You need to pitch in and pull your weight. It's possible for you to, to contribute to your own work of salvation. It's the idea that, you know what, as long as you make sure that, that, that your good deeds outnumber your bad deeds and, and, and you have more rituals and, 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 and ceremonies that you can check off and, and prove that you've done, well, then you're going to earn your way into heaven. You know, they're saying, hey, you, you know, God will do his part, but you've got to do your part too. After all, they'd say, hey, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. By the way, that's not what the Bible says. That was Benjamin Franklin who said that. And, and so, listen, the gospel says this. The gospel says there's nothing you can do. They would say you've got to do your part, and the Bible says there is no part. You can't do it. That's why Jesus came in the first place. He came to save you because you cannot save yourself. You see, the problem is that, is that the message that the Judaizers were preaching is a message that, that appeals to our fleshly nature. What do I mean by that? What's a, it's a message that, that makes you think that there's something you can do. It's a message that makes you feel empowered. It's a message that makes you think that you actually can contribute to making sure that you go to heaven that you can actually do something about it. It's a self-empowerment message. And so listen, the, the contrast between the cross and, and, and circumcision is that circumcision says it's all about you and what you must do, whereas the cross says it's all about him and what he's already done. And so now with that, verse 16 down to the end, the question is this. The question is, what marks out the direction of your life? Verse 16 and as for all who, who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. 
Now, I had somebody ask me about this. They said, hey, what's a spirit brother? They said, the, you know, the, 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 the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers. Uh, do I have a spirit brother? Like, you know, some people have like an animal, you know, spirit. You know, do I have like a spirit? No, the, it's saying, you know, this will be with your spirit, okay? Brothers, you know, we're all brothers. Anyway, so just want to clear that up because who knows what some of you just thought. Um, anyway. Now it's interesting. He, he says in, in verse 17, he says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, by the way, this is not talking about something called stigmata. Now, if you don't know, stigmata is referring to, 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 to this rare supernatural phenomenon where supposedly the marks of the crucifixion of Jesus appear on your body. Like all of a sudden you've got like the, the nail prints in your hands or, or like, like your, your head has like little thorn marks and you're bleeding. And, and, and listen, this is not what the Apostle Paul was talking about. But what the Apostle Paul is talking about is this. You see, remember, back in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talked about how he had been imprisoned a number of different times. He talked about how he had been scourged and, and whipped five different times, receiving 39 lashes each time. He, he talked about how he, he was stoned with rocks and left for dead. He talked about how, how, he, how he had been shipwrecked a number of different times. And he pointed out that all that suffering was because he was preaching the gospel, because he preached the Christ, uh, the cross. The cross of Christ. How about that? <laughs> and so he, he says, you know, I, I received all these scars on my body for the gospel. And so in a sense, he's saying, you know what? That's my brand. I've been branded. Those, these scars are my brand. Now listen, you have to understand that in that day, there were two groups of people that often were branded. Number one, slaves, and number two, soldiers. Now, number one, first of all, slaves were branded, like cattle, as a, as a mark of ownership, a sign of ownership. And so in a sense, Paul's saying, you know what? The scars on his body that he suffered and received because he was preaching the gospel, in a sense, that's the mark, that's the brand on his life of ownership, that he's under the ownership of Jesus Christ. He no longer is, is the owner of his life. He no longer is the captain of his life. Jesus is, is his captain. He's under new ownership. But then there was a second group, the soldiers. In fact, soldiers actually would, would, would brand themselves. And they'd brand themselves with, 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 with the name of their general as sort of a token of, of their devotion to his leadership. And so now in the same way, uh, Paul is saying that, you know what, he views those scars on his body as sort of the branding, sort of the marking that he has surrendered his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ to the leadership of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is now the commander-in-chief of his life. He no longer rules his life. He no longer decides which direction he goes. That is Jesus' job. Jesus is the commander-in-chief. Now, on that note, it's interesting that back in verse 16, Paul says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Now, by the way, that word rule, it comes from the Greek word kanon. It's an interesting word. It speaks of a, of a carpenter's line or a, or a surveyor's line. You know, oftentimes a carpenter is going to mark out a, a straight line or a level line that they can follow to make their cut. And so in the same way, what this is saying is, is, that, is that the cross is, is, is our carpenter's line. It's our survey line. It's, it's the line that we cut the direction of our lives by. In fact, Jesus talked about this. You know, it's, the idea is that, you know what, the cross is before us, and because the cross is before me, I will set the direction of my life in that direction. If I'm a follower of, a, of Christ, then I'm a follower of the cross. 
You may remember on one occasion, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it really means to be a disciple, what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And he said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, and Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so the idea is is that just as as Jesus' purpose was to come to this earth, ultimately, to go to the cross. I mean, everything about his life led to the cross. It was like he was living a straight line to die on that cross. It was his survey line. It was his, his carpenter's line. Everything about his life was to go in that direction. And in the same way, uh, we have been called to take up our own cross and follow him. But what does this mean to take up our own cross? When obviously a cross is an, an instrument of death. And so it's speaking of dying, specifically dying to yourself. Dying to the direction that you wanted for your life. Dying to, to, to the way that you wanted to live your life. And you're not going to live your life in the direction of his cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who ended up dying in a, in a Nazi concentration camp, put it this way. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. We, we die to ourselves and we live for him. But now listen, the, the Judaizers, they were basically preaching that, that the key to eternal life is to save yourself. Contribute to your own salvation by, by, by keeping this law and that ritual and this ceremony and, and, and all these things. You know, contribute to your own salvation. Whereas really, the, the message of the gospel says, you know what? If you want eternal life, it's not about saving yourself. It's about dying to yourself. It's, it's not about your efforts. It's about his efforts. It's not about what, what, what you can do. It's about what he has done. It's not about circumcision. It's about the cross. And so over and over again in the book of Galatians, we see this contrast, circumcision and the cross. And again, circumcision, the emphasis is do it yourself. The cross, the emphasis is die to self. So you might put it this way. The the, the Judaizers were emphasizing the externals, whereas the gospel emphasizes the internal. They were all about you know, changing the outside. God's all about changing the inside. And by the way, that's how it's always been. You see, it's not like way, way back in the Old Testament times that, 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 that God had a, a different focus, that God was focused on, on the externals, that God was focused on, on rituals and, and ceremonies and laws and, and, and things like circumcision and, and sacrifices. But then all of a sudden in the New Testament, he got a new focus. And now all of a sudden he's focused on the heart. Now listen, he's always been focused on the same thing. He's always been focused on the heart. It's always been about the internal and not the external. You see, it was man that messed it up. We got the wrong focus, and we started focusing on the externals. In fact, it was, it was that way even from the beginning with circumcision. All the way back when circumcision was first started, it was always about the internal and not the external. Listen to this. Way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, not your flesh, not the external, the internal. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. It was always about the heart. 
So the Judaizers, if you think about it, they were emphasizing a relationship with rituals, whereas the gospel emphasizes a relationship with the Lord, a relationship with God. They boasted in the flesh. Paul boasted in the cross. He boasted in his relationship with Christ. In fact, he put it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, Paul said, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And by the way, he's actually quoting from a small section in, in, in Jeremiah. Here's the whole section. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. You see, it's about a relationship. Even in the Old Testament, even in the book of Jeremiah, it wasn't about rituals. It was about a relationship that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. And he goes on to say, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Now that's interesting. He's saying, you know, for those that put their hope in a, in a ritual like circumcision, just understand this, that one day in hell are going to be both circumcised and uncircumcised. They're all going to be burning in hell together. Why? Because it's not the ritual that saves you. It's the relationship that saves you. It's those who understand and know him. And so he's saying, you know what? There'll be the uncircumcised in, in, in hell and the circumcised in hell. Let me put that in our modern Christian vernacular. There'll be those who have been baptized in hell and those who have not been baptized. There'll be those who are fully wet and those who are fully dry. And they'll all be burning in the same flames. Why? Because it's not about the ritual. It's about the relationship. Because in the end, the question that matters is this. The question is, that, that, that's going to be asked of you is not, did you have the right rituals? It's not, you know, were, were you circumcised or, 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 or were you baptized? or did you take communion? No, in the end, the question that's going to matter is, did you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Or as it, as it says in Jeremiah, did you know him and understand him? You see, did, did rituals mark the direction of your life or does the cross mark the direction of your life? Are you trying to do it yourself or did he do it for you? In the end, that's the question that matters. You know, and maybe, maybe there's some of you here this morning or maybe some watching online or, or maybe later listening on the radio. And maybe the whole reason you've come to church is because, you know, you're trying to do the ritual. You know, you, you want to go to heaven. You know, you, you want to make sure you do your part. You want to make sure that when the, when the judgment day comes that, that you've done enough, that, that your good deeds outnumber your bad deeds. And so if you do rituals like go to church and, and get baptized and take communion and, and all these other things, maybe you'll be good enough to get in. That's not how it works. Because it's not about having a relationship with rituals. It's about having a relationship with God. Do you have that? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Have, have you invited him to come into your life? Have you asked him to come in and change your life? Like the Apostle Paul, is he your commander in chief? Are you no longer living for yourself? Is he now your chief and he's calling the direction? He's calling the, the shape and the, and, and the direction of your life. If not, that's what needs to happen. It can happen today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that through your word, the, the book of Galatians, we've learned that you love people. You love all people. And that's why you came. You came to save us from our sins. And you came to save us from our sins because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. 
And so, Lord, because we cannot save ourselves, we need a Savior. And maybe you're here this morning, and, 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 and maybe, maybe what you, you need is not another ritual, not another thing to make you feel better. You need a Savior. Can I challenge you to invite him to come into your life? Can I challenge you to believe in him? And not only believe in him, but with your mouth confess that you need him. Listen to this. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, it says, but what does it say? It says that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that the word of faith that we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you just need to to not only believe that you need him, but to confess that you need him. Let me help you with that. Just pray this. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm nothing without you. I'm a wreck without you. I'm hopeless without you. Lord, I, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of the things that I've done and the things that have been done to me. I pray that you would change me from the inside out. And from this day forward, you are the commander-in-chief. You lead, I follow. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.